My guest today was elected mayor for North Dumfries from 2010 to 2014. By virtue of that election, he was also a regional councillor for the region of Waterloo during that same period. And during that time, he was also a board member of the Grand River Conservation Authority and a director with Energy Plus, now Granbridge Energy, the municipally owned electricity distributor. Like many of our guests, his journey to municipal politics came by way of his community activism. Today, we're going to hear the story about wanting to get a fresh baked bun in his town. My guest today is me, Rob Deutschman. So uh, today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I don't have a guest. Um, I've always wanted to tell the story about the grocery store in air. It was one of the, surprisingly, one of the big challenges of my time uh, when I was elected mayor. I like to joke and say it's a story of intrigue, suspense, double cross, a real Leclerc thriller. Not really, but it does make for a really good municipal politics story. So um, I came to municipal politics like many of our other guests you've heard on this podcast through work in the community. Uh, my pet project was a new arena and that morphed into a community center containing a hall, a senior and youth room, medical center, walking track, and, and some great outdoor facilities, if I do say so myself, uh, including a soccer field with irrigation, a spray pad. And eventually, uh, after my time, that grew to include a skateboard park, outdoor volleyball courts, and a leash-free dog area. And I no doubt more to come. That activity taught me about the potential for building a community at the municipal level and I realized that municipal government was really the key to harnessing the resources of the community and making things happen. Now, my main goal when I ran during the election in 2010 was to make sure that the community center construction was done properly. There were some cost overruns and it seemed like the council of the day was taking a shredder to the project, even cutting the score clock from the arena. After I got elected, we got it back. Uh, we had a, I felt a municipal leader that was connected from the community and I wanted to get that changed. I ran and was successful beating an incumbent. So it can be done. In fact, there were a few incumbent mayors that lost in 2010. Um, I think a lot of people appreciated the work that I did in the community uh, with respect to the, particularly with respect to the community center and the arena. And overall, they chose hope and opportunity over stay the course. Now, I've got a lot of stories from that campaign, uh, but I'll just share one quickly. Uh, during that campaign, um, I had uh, the local newspaper was was used to run ads and I ran some ads for my campaign and my competitor ran some ads. And I was shocked with the first ad that I saw that came out uh, in that ad uh, was a picture of myself on one side and a picture of my opponent on the other side but above my picture was the word risky and above her picture was the word stability <laughs> and i was i was really shocked to see that in the local paper and the first thing i could think of was what are my daughters going to think about this but after a little while uh, there were a few more weeks of this risk and stability campaign and then i realized hey wait a minute i didn't provide approval for my picture to be used so the third ad that ran took the picture out, but still ran with the words risk and stability. But fortunately, a lot of people found that to be negative advertising and didn't really appreciate the negative approach that was being taken. Uh, 
So now I'm elected. What do you do? Um, so there are many times uh, when, as I've come to learn, that you're kind of overtaken by events that are out of your control. So, for, so in this case, and, and as the British Prime Minister, it's always a, a great line I've always liked to remember, uh, Harold Macmillan stated, he, when asked about the greatest challenge that uh, he had, he said, events, dear boy, events. And that leads me to the story about the grocery store and the Tim Hortons development. Now, in our community, and certainly during the campaign, there was no issues raised about a grocery store or a Tim Hortons or anything like that. And we, we didn't have a Tim Hortons in, in Ayr, which is the largest community in North Dumfries. But we had a very small grocery store. It was about 6,000 square feet in size. It was really a glorified convenience store. Uh, and I had worked at a Max Milk in, in my day, so I was kind of familiar with that. But shortly after the election, I was approached by a developer and a consultant about a grocery store in a Tim's project. They had been trying to find uh, land or compiling sufficient land, like purchasing perhaps multiple buildings in a certain area that would be suitable for a grocery store of about 24,000 square feet and a Tim's. And they were unsuccessful for a while. And there was always rumors that Sobeys, which was the owner of the food land that we had in our town, uh, was looking for something. And as I came to learn from uh, these two gentlemen, basically what happens is a developer will find a property, will build the store, and then through their relationship with a, a company like a Sobeys or a Tim's, they'll lease the property to the company for, let's say, a 25 or 30 year lease. So that's how uh, the the, the, the consultant developers make their money. That's how the uh, store operators uh, can build these plazas and stores without investing a lot of money because their, their investment is over the long term with respect to the lease. So these two came to visit me at my law office uh, early, as I said, in my, as I just having been elected. And they presented to me this concept uh, of a store and a Tim's located sort of in the center of our town. There was a large piece of land that had two derelict homes on it. Well, one was derelict, one was pretty run down, but it was actually occupied by uh, the owner's uh, daughter and her family. And so they, the developer, we'll call him developer one because there's a developer two later in this story. So developer one said that, uh, hey, this is where we'd like to put the store and a Tim's. And my initial reaction was, I'm not really sure if the community is going to appreciate having a store with the lights and a Tim's with everything that that brings located sort of in the center of the town, because the residential area had really grown quite a bit. And just prior to that, uh, well, not prior to that, but we have a Schneider's uh, in, in the center of town as well, because again, what used to be on the other side of the tracks from uh, our little town suddenly became the center of town as properties moved to the north and around the tracks and around these, pro uh, these uh, manufacturing sites. But the proposed site itself was located uh, in an area that had uh, a trucking company to the east of it. There was a funeral home and a church to the south of it. Uh, across the road was the curling club, so that would be on the, the west side. But to the, to the north, there were residential homes that butted up to this property. And because there were two homes located on, on our official plan, it was considered to be a residential site. <laughs> but 
towns being as quirky as they are, years ago, the owners had tried to put up a town home development on that site, which was, again, opposed by some. And I think it may have been even opposed by the trucking company on the other side of the tracks uh, uh, just behind the, the property. So one would have thought, well, if the residential concept wasn't acceptable, the commercial one would have been something that people would have wanted. And certainly as our town was growing, because we were having, we, we, I mean, we continued to, but we were having rapid residential development in our community and really the amenities and services were not keeping up. We definitely needed a larger grocery store in this spot. But I said to the developer, one, I said, well, listen, why don't you have a, you want to have an open house to introduce this uh, concept uh, to the people. Um, I said, well, curling club's right across the road, and that would be a great spot since it's right in the area and everyone could get to the curling club and participate in this meeting. So why don't you have that meeting there? Uh, that turned out to be mistake number one. <laughs> so on, on the day of the public meeting, uh, I got to the uh, curling club and I realized uh, as I was walking in that it was not uh, wheelchair accessible. And I wasn't sure if that was going to be an issue or not, because the hall part of it, you had to climb up uh, about four or five steps to, to get to, to the hall. Little did I know when I got there that, in fact, on either side of the development, proposed development, were people who were in wheelchairs. And I, I did not know that at all. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I mean, you couldn't have picked a worse uh, situation uh, than to have uh, this hall uh, where two people who are most impacted by uh, two families most impacted by this development couldn't have certain people attend. Uh, so suffice to say that the meeting didn't get off to a good start and it didn't get any better after that. Um, one thing I'll point out, uh, which is interesting to note, when uh, public meetings are held, there's always uh, there's sort of two concepts for the public meeting. Uh, there's the one where it's just sort of uh, the, the proponent will do a presentation to a large group of people and uh, the people sit there, they listen, and then they can ask questions uh, as a group. That is one way. The other way is where the proponent will have display set up and it's a drop in. So you come in anytime you want and they've got people there to answer your questions on an individual basis. Um, you'll find that a lot of public meetings uh, are held uh, in the form of uh, the drop in concept because it's more of a divide and conquer, uh, so to speak, approach. Because when you have the public meeting where everyone's all together in a room and you're doing the one presentation and they can ask questions, uh, you can get the mob mentality that could set in. And uh, that was the approach that the developers used for this initial public open house. And then I could tell you it got quite heated uh, in that room, not only were people upset about the facility lacking accessibility, but uh, they were very upset about the um, about uh, uh, the Tims and uh, concerns about pollution and traffic and noise and lighting pollution and everything else. And that just seemed to build. And and there was no real host for the meeting. And after a while, I, I kind of felt bad about the whole thing. And I stepped up to try and control the the mob so to speak uh but that didn't go well either so that meeting ended on a not a great note shortly after that the uh some members of the community who were really opposed to the location i would get a few phone calls uh voicing their concerns and objections and, and i could understand the concerns 
uh, about it. It's a lot of times uh, people raise uh, the concerns about, and, and we've heard them all before. Uh, traffic is a problem. Uh, and as I said, the noise, uh, the lighting, the pollution, uh, people not wanting to live near or across or by uh, that sort of development, uh, just concerns about, you know, privacy and living in a certain setting where you, you know, enjoy your property. But suffice to say, this was on what we call Northumberland Street, which was the main, really the only road in and out of town and was fairly trafficked. And there was a train line nearby and, and you could hear the horns of the train uh, every so often as you're going by. So the peace and tranquility of the area wasn't necessarily a, a, a highlight for this area, but for people, they perceived that and they perceived it as getting worse with this development. So the community started to organize and uh, they had a public meeting and uh, I know I wanted to show that uh, we were listening to what they had to say and that their input was obviously important to us. And so I attended uh, one of the public meetings and uh, really just intended to listen to uh, what they had to say because it was their meeting, but then I was invited on the stage. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I gladly went up and I said, basically, look, we're, we're, we hear you, we're listening. There were a lot of cheers. I was thinking maybe they thought that meant we were going to vote in accordance with what they wanted, which was to deny this project. But as a elected member, now you have to sort of take a dispassionate, somewhat dispassionate uh, view of what's going on. It's almost like in my profession as a lawyer, they say justice is blind and uh, justice can't be influenced by certain things. You got to listen to the facts. And then based on the facts and the law, you, you make your determination. And, you know, you try to leave the politics out of decisions in planning as much as you can, because if one proponent feels that there was undue influence, uh, or decisions weren't made that were based on good planning principles, they have an opportunity to take it to, at, at that time, uh, Ontario Municipal Board hearing or an OMB, which then would provide that more dispassionate, uh, apolitical uh, uh, process and, and come up with a decision. And certainly when things are at council, you have some control over the process in terms of what the package is going to look like at the end of the day. But if it goes off to the OMB or a tribunal, today it's called the Ontario Land Tribunal. If it goes off to a tribunal, now it's out of your hands. It's in the hands of the adjudicator or the panel. And they're the ones that are going to make the decision about what is going to be there or not be there. And so you lose that opportunity sometimes to negotiate uh, some changes. So, you know, until we had the all the information before us, we couldn't make a decision uh, and, and, and an impulse decision and say no uh, to to this issue. There was also some rumblings about a possible second location, uh, which would have been more to the, the north end of the town. So away from the, the core, we'll say, and, and more just on the outskirts of town, actually close to where the community center was being built which would have been an excellent location as well. But that land was owned by a different uh, family, different uh, company. And the developer, developer one, uh, had their sights set on the location they selected. But I had suggested to them they should consider looking at that location on the outside of town. And the location was a little bit different. And in fact, we even had a meeting one time with uh, the developer one and Sobeys as they were talking to us about their site in the core of town. And I suggested to them to take a look at this other location. Uh, 
to see about the possibilities. But at that time, they had indicated to me that, uh, oh, that site could not be developed. It would have taken too much work because it was uh, uh, there was a bit of a hill to it. So it wasn't level land. It would have required a lot of uh, um, uh, grading work that would have had to have been done. So I was like, okay, if that's your decision, that's fine. We'll keep working on this other site. But that didn't stop a new developer, developer two, from taking a look at this site on the north end of town and working with that family and uh, coming up with a proposal on their own. And so I'd heard some rumblings about that. There was some uh, work being done, and certainly the community was hoping, some members of the community were hoping for another location. I have to say, um, the people most concerned about site one were the people, obviously, that lived within the more immediate vicinity. For the rest of the town, whenever you brought up this issue, uh, there was probably a lot of indifference about where that location was, I guess, for most people, as long as it wasn't near them. But, uh, you know, they all recognized, bottom line, that we needed a new grocery store in our community to serve our community. It was an absolute must uh, for the community. Um, so while we were waiting to see if there would be a second location, uh, council of the day was going to wait to, to make sure we had all the information we needed before we made any decision at all. Of course, our hope was that we would have two proposals in front of us and we'd be able to decide which was the best proposal. But until we got to that point of two proposals, you know, we had to go through the exercise of uh, a public meeting and uh, our planner putting together a final report. <laughs> so uh, the public meeting was certainly uh, an interesting affair. Again, wanting to show that uh, we were, you know, everything was transparent and open. Uh, the new community center just opened up with its hall that could accommodate three, 300 plus people uh, all seated uh, to listen. So I said, hey, let's, let's take it there. And uh, all of a sudden we had like 300 people uh, uh, attending this meeting, which was a public meeting, uh, to talk about the proposal. And the consultants uh, presented their proposal, and people were able to delegate and uh, could respond to the proposal. And it was a very unruly meeting. Um, I did have to gavel, pound the gavel a lot of times to get people <laughs> back in line. Uh, there was a lot of, because again, we're in this large crowd, people are in the back, they can shout out things, and that was happening. Uh, They're shouting out. They were uh, very upset with the uh, developer, the proponent. It was a heck of a meeting, and I had to pound that gavel quite a few times to ask people to, to get in line. Um, in fact, at one point, one of my counselors uh, looked over at me and uh, said, you better take a look at the head of that gavel. And, it, and uh, I looked, it was starting to come away from uh, the stem and uh, any, a few more poundings and that gavel head would have went flying into the crowd. <laughs> so I could just imagine uh, I was saved from that embarrassment. Um, but after that meeting, uh, the Sobeys representative was there and there were so many people that were particularly upset about the Tims being there. I, I, people were envisioning pollution and cups strewn about and blowing in the wind and all that other sort of stuff. And uh, so the Sobeys uh, VP had said to me, look, we'll, we'll take the Tims out of the proposal and uh, it'll just be the grocery store. So I thought, okay, well, that starts to make it a little bit more palatable uh, because there was a contingent or faction that really didn't want the Tims, but would have wanted the store. There were some that didn't want any of it. 
But now you're getting to a point where this is the negotiating part that happens uh, with respect to proposals. Um, you know, you can you can fight them uh, or you can work along with them. Of course, if it's just not feasible or nothing can be resolved, then I guess you have to consider fighting, as some people do with respect to gravel pits and that sort of thing. But a lot of times uh, my advice to people is see if you can work with the proponent, see, you know, outline what the concerns are and see what can be done to try to alleviate that. Uh, years ago, there was a, a gravel pit that was just on the outside of air and backing onto a number of homes. And uh, what they all ended up doing was getting about 50 yards of land uh, transferred to them to act as a buffer from the gravel pit. The gravel pit got uh, uh, got approved. It's it's operated for about 10 to 15 years, not too far from my own home and never any issues. It's done. And now they're looking at uh, a residential project for there. So. So we had the public meeting, uh, got through that, and it was uh, pretty rough. And it was kind of funny. I remember um, uh, this community group organizing, and they started to have signs uh, put up as well around the community. And I remember one day I was uh, driving around uh, because uh, for my law practice, I had to go visit some uh, clients in uh, Tilsonburg, actually. And as I drove into Tilsonburg, I noticed that there were a lot of signs that said uh, no garbage. So those, you know, those circle signs with a line through them, you know, the old Ghostbuster uh, type sign, but it was uh, no garbage. Basically, there was a proposal about Toronto garbage being dumped, I think, uh, into quarries or something like that. But there was something where they didn't want any garbage coming into the community. And uh, that same day, I drove from uh, there to go to Paris. And uh, as I was entering Paris, there were signs that said uh, uh, no gravel pits because there was a proposal for a gravel pit and some members of the community were concerned about uh, water table levels. Uh, it's a big concern for a lot of people about the impact on water table levels by a gravel pit, which, um, and, and there are some gravel pits that do actually uh, extract gravel below the water table, but for the most part, many of them are proposed uh, two or three feet above the water table, but still it's a tricky situation. So in Paris, there were these signs no gravel pits. So as I'm driving home at the end of the day, I, I come into town and I notice signs in air and these signs say no grocery store. <laughs> so, so no Toronto garbage, no, no, uh, no gravel pits to no grocery stores. It just, you know, it was a bit of a chuckle. I mean, it's a serious issue, but it's just things that people are concerned about. So, um, so that was the, the lay of the land uh, as, as it was progressing. And in fact, there was also a petition. The, the local pharmacist had put together a petition uh, that um, uh, where people had or, or was hosting the petition. And so people could go into uh, the pharmacy and sign a petition. And the petition itself said, uh, you know, are you opposed to the Tim to the Sobies and Tim Horton proposal or the grocery store and Tim Horton uh, proposal or donut shop proposal. And everyone's, you know, everyone that signed off said, yeah, we're opposed. And it just shows you how things can change because now Tim's wasn't part of the proposal. And then we get presented this petition. Am I how am I supposed to interpret this petition? Because now Tim's is not part of that proposal anymore, but obviously we were aware of the concerns that were going on. Now, the other part of it that's a concern for uh, uh, a council is, you know, what, what are staff going to say? 
because we're not planners. We don't have that expertise. Uh, you know, we were uh, one person was uh, involved in the in the medical field. Uh, another person was a farmer. Another person worked in industry uh, in logistics. Um, another person was a teacher. I was a lawyer. We weren't planners, so you know, we had our gut feel about these things and and what we thought about it. But um, you know, we need to know whether this proposal met all the criteria. So that's where you turn to your planner, to your staff. And uh, so we were going to have to wait for our planner to review this proposal, to take input from the region, consider the traffic studies, the various impacts, uh, the GRCA input, uh, and input from fire department, and all sorts of other agencies and groups that offer their input on that, and then compile a a, a report back to us and tell us whether, based on our existing um, official plan, whether the changes that were going to be needed to allow this project to go on that site would be acceptable and could be approved. And uh, so that was something that, uh, you know, I had a number of conversations with uh, the planner about. And we didn't want to show uh, or interfere with uh, his decision. Uh, that was going to be totally his decision. And whatever he came back to us with was what it was going to be. I remember one time, uh, one of the neighbors uh, had asked us to come out uh, and uh, just, you know, consider the traffic that occurs on Northumberland Street and what this project was going to do to the traffic and the increase in the traffic. So we sat uh, in lawn chairs at the end of the driveway. I brought the planner out so that he could, you know, get firsthand experience uh, as well. And, uh, you know, it was just part of the process of taking in the information. Because one of the concerns as a council is that if you don't approve a project, but your own planning staff does approve it, now you could be going to the OMB or a hearing, not only uh, up against the planners for the proponent, but also against your own, de own de uh, planning department. And, and that would require you to go out and hire your own planner to come back with a, give you an opinion that supported your view that the project shouldn't go ahead. And so we're also always concerned about legal costs and uh, want to be mindful of that. Now, we're not afraid to take a matter to the next level, but, you know, we can't just go off to court on frivolous things or uh, other issues just because we want to. We want to make sure that those costs are considered because when you're budgeting as a municipality, you're not putting in, oh, I think I'll have $200,000 in legal costs this year. You're basically putting in a, a, a small number, which is a marker, maybe 10 to 15, 20,000, depending on the size of your municipality. And you wait and see what happens because you can't really predict legal actions unless you're in the middle of something, then you can. But if you're not into any legal action, there could always be something that pops up over the course of the year. And that can really then upend a budget as well. So our planner was doing uh, his thing to uh, review it all. And also, too, uh, we had said to council, I had said to council, I said, look, you know, we we don't necessarily want to vote on this first project right away because we want to wait and see if there is going to be a second project uh, development proposal coming forward. And so while the planner and, and we couldn't vote until at least the planner had prepared their report and that was taking some time, we we uh, at the time didn't have a full time planner on staff. We uh, contracted out our planning services. Uh, really good guy. But 
you know, they get, people get busy. You have multiple clients and you try to respond as quickly as you can. And uh, so it was a bit delayed in terms of uh, getting a report, but not, not too delayed, but uh, it was taking a little bit of time. But of course, we didn't mind that time because it gave us that opportunity to wait and see if someone else would be, would be coming, coming forward with their project. So um, as, as we're moving along, uh, my advice to council was let's not vote on this project. Now, whenever you present a proposal, uh, make an application for a gravel pit or present a proposal for some development, there are certain time frames within which you have to respond. You can't just put things on hold indefinitely. And after a certain period of time, if you haven't responded, then the developer or the proponent or the gravel pit application can say, I'm, I'm going to the municipal board. They can take it to the next step. And now it's out of your hands and it's decided at that level. But for the most part, a lot of developers uh, do not do that. They'd rather try to see if they can work things out with the council, with the community, and come up with a compromise uh, proposal that is acceptable to everyone. And, uh, and in this case, the, the first developer, uh, you know, would inquire from time to time as to when we, we, they could anticipate a vote on their project. And we would always say, look, we're waiting for the final planning report, which we needed. So no vote was, was taken. And they didn't bother to take it to the OMB. So they were prepared to wait, even though we were outside the time. But that that happens uh, invariably on, on almost every project. I mean, gravel pit applications can take two, three, four, or five years before they're considered. And a lot of times, these applications are done so far in advance that the gravel's not really needed, and the proponents aren't in a big rush uh, to 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 move it along. So that, however. Uh, didn't stop my air counselor from trying to bring the vote forward. <laughs> um, on several occasions, my air counselor, so we had one counselor for air and the other three counselors were from outside of air. So there were four counselors and then myself as mayor, there were five of us on council. So uh, obviously the air counselor was hearing a lot from the people opposed to the project. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate at the time there was only one counselor for a population base of about four to 5,000 people, which may not seem like a lot, uh, but with respect to the other three counselors, amongst them was another 5,000 in total. So they were about 1,500 to 1,600 people each and air was growing. So you can see that the, the workload for the air counselor was starting to get quite, quite big. In fact, uh, we ended up uh, changing our awards around so that we had two representatives from air and two from outside. That's a story for another day. So um, the counselor was hearing from this group. This group was quite active uh, and uh, the counselor kept trying to bring the vote up at council. And we would keep saying, no, we want to wait. We want to wait. We don't want to vote because the problem is if we'd had the vote, and rejected it. And I don't know if we would have rejected it, but if we had the vote and rejected it, and it was the only one in front of us, I think the proponent, the developer would have been successful at the OMB and uh, would have been able to put the store and probably the Tims if they wanted to push that uh, in that location. And in fact, one time I'd heard after when I was unable to attend a council meeting, while well, I was away, the counselor wanted to bring the vote forward. And I was like, oh, man. But anyway, uh, fortunately, the rest of council held firm to our strategy of waiting. Uh, we wanted the planner's final report. Um, and, and council could vote 
ahead of time if they wanted to, but that would just make it an even more of a debacle if you didn't at least wait for the planning report. I mean, what are you basing your decision on other than uh, politics uh, when you're in that situation? So um, they didn't have the vote, thankfully. Eventually, uh, we were able to get um, a, uh, a second proposal in front of us. And, um, you know, I, I, I'd heard about the second proposal. Uh, the people came forward and said they were interested in doing a, a proposal at that second site in the north end of town. So my advice to them was simple. I said, look, we're, we're in a race here with the clock. If you want your project considered, you better move quickly and get it uh, in front of us uh, when we vote uh, on these two proposals. And so we were fortunate that uh, the second proposal came forward. So we were fortunate that we had two options to consider, which was nice. Um, and uh, we ended up uh, voting actually in favor of the second proposal. So that obviously didn't uh, make the first proponent very happy the first developer and uh they actually wanted to appeal our decision and so they were going to appeal to the ontario municipal board and they prepared their material and there are strict limitation periods within which you can appeal these sorts of decisions and so they prepared their material and on the i think it was the 30th day whatever the final day for the appeal was they served the township of North Dumfries with their appeal. And because we're a two-tier system, the township of North Dumfries and the region of Waterloo would have been would have been both parties on the other side of that appeal. Now, because they're separate entities, as I learned after, the proponent, the developer number one, only served the township of North Dumfries, thinking that that was going to satisfy their service requirements against the region of Waterloo. But as I learned, it did not. So, so they served the township of North Dumfries on the, let's say the 30th day. And then the next day they attempted service on the regional Waterloo, realizing that they had made an error and it wasn't up to the township to forward the material to the region. It was up to the developer number one and their lawyers to serve that material personally on the region. So I thought, well, okay, one day wasn't going to make a difference. Uh, I'm sure they'll be able to uh, get some leave from the tribunal with respect to that. But our lawyers indicated, no, this is a pretty hard and fast uh, rule, a very strict limitation period. And as it turned out, when they went to the OMB to try to rectify uh, the error of uh, the extra day to serve, they lost. So they lost at the OMB, their appeal failed. And we were able to proceed with the second proposal and the first proponent, unfortunately, wasn't able to move ahead. And in fact, we were able to have a Sobeys, a new food land, 24,000 square foot food land grocery store and a Tim Hortons. So, you know, a town's made it when it's got a Tim Hortons. And now I could get my uh, fresh baked bun because there was going to be a bakery in the new, uh, <laughs> the new grocery store. Uh, so it was uh, it was quite a uh, uh, quite an intriguing story. I mean, this this project and dealing with this project really lent a lot of uh, credence uh, to the to the saying, uh, which uh, regional chair Ken Sealing had said to me, he said, uh, when you become mayor in a small community, your circle of friends gets smaller. And I can tell you, there are some people that uh, to this day, uh, we still have a tense relationship because of 
how they felt uh, I conducted myself uh, during this whole matter. And, uh, you know, they were strongly opposed to that location. Uh, they were upset that I didn't share or express the same sentiments or views uh, during this period of time uh, about it. But as I said, uh, when you're the decision maker, and there's two sides to this, I mean, you're like the judge, you can't express uh, favoritism, uh, and you have to let the process play itself out. You know, we were clearly mindful of the concerns that the community had, that some members of the community had about this location. But there are lots of things that uh, can be done in developments in terms of lighting, lighting that's aimed down low, uh, not, you know, beaming up into the sky, um, noise attenuation that can be done in terms of fencing and, and, and other materials to minimize the noise concerns. Um and at the end of the day, if if we only had the one, there's a good chance it was going to be in that location. It might have been a split vote, but uh, likely would have been a vote in support. But as I said, we were fortunate that this other proposal came. And, you know, it was always kind of, uh, I always snickered a bit in the sense that Sobey's initially telling me that that second location wasn't suitable or couldn't be done. And ultimately, at the end of the day, with the other developer, uh, that's where they went. And obviously, it, it could be done. So sometimes it makes you a little bit cynical uh, about uh, what people tell you and what they have to say. But uh, I just want to talk about one other thing in connection with this uh, this matter. And it's about uh, uh, a gentleman from town, uh, Dave Reif is his name. Uh, Dave was a longtime uh, member of the community. And uh, Dave and I used to have some really good uh, discussions on politics. Uh, local politics was a passion of his. And I really appreciated his, uh, his passion and his involvement and his input uh, on issues of the day. Dave was part of, uh, participated in the sort of the anti-first location group. I mean, he lived nearby as well, so I understood. He was on Northumberland Street, a few houses up from where the location was going to be, so he had a lot of concerns as well. And uh, Dave was, because uh, he had been such a, a longtime member and involved in the community, I had a lot of respect for him because of the work uh, that he had done and, and always continued to do. And whenever Dave would show up at a council meeting, whether he had registered as a delegate or not, I always would make a point of asking Dave if he had anything he wanted to say or add to uh, the proceedings or comment on anything that was going on. But the first time I really met Dave uh, and really got to know him uh, was um, during the municipal election when I got elected. And uh, we were at a, uh, a meeting. It was a, a debate. And uh, my opponent failed to show up for the public debate uh, in town. And I was there and uh, took questions and answered questions and treated it like a campaign stop. And it worked out to be a really good event for me. And so I had a chance to chat with Dave after, and I was, you know, I asked him for his support, uh, asked him if he would consider supporting me for mayor. But Dave was, you know, he's a, he's a straightforward, straight speaking guy, honest, uh, and uh, will, will, you know, tell you what's on his mind, doesn't hold back. And he said that he wasn't going to support me. And he had a view that uh, if you're going to be mayor, you should at least be a councillor first before you were going to be mayor. So that's, you know, on that basis, he didn't feel I was ready 
to take on uh, the mayor's job in North Dumfries. I respected that and I understood that. I can see that, you know, you want someone coming up through the farm system, so to speak, before they take on the big job. So, you know, as the election came and went, and I was fortunate enough that uh, not a lot of people shared Dave's view. In fact, the majority shared the opposite view and I was elected uh, uh, mayor. But then the grocery store issue came up and, and Dave really uh, got involved in that. In fact, uh, as I told you, traffic was always one of the concerns that people had. And uh, Dave did his own personal traffic study and he came to council one night and laid out all the, the data that uh, he compiled in terms of the number of cars that drove past his house during different times of the day. And, you know, we took in that information and passed it on to our planner uh, to be included with the, uh, with the traffic information. But at the end of the day, you know, the decision got made and, and uh, Dave never told me whether he was happy or not with the process or, or how it worked out. Um, I, I knew Dave's kids really well, his two sons, uh, Wayne and Cyrus. And uh, in fact, Wayne had actually built many years ago an addition uh, on our on our house. Uh, and one of the things I used to joke with some of the people in town was that um, during this whole grocery store debate, I was going to get a sign from the developer and put it on my property like they were building an addition on my house for me and get some people really concerned. So, uh, and obviously I didn't do that, but, uh, you know, just a joke about that. So as, as, uh, as my term in office went on, uh, I'd heard from uh, Cyrus uh, that uh, Dave wasn't doing well. He was battling cancer. And in fact, he was dying. And he was in the hospital. So I would go to the, uh, oftentimes uh, as mayor, I felt it was important to, when I would hear about people from the community who were not doing well, I often made visits to the hospital because I felt it was important as the representative of the community to go out and see people and, and thank them for, you know, what their contribution to the community was and, and wish them well and, and let them know that they were, you know, remembered and thought of and, and, and all of that. And so, uh, Cyrus said that uh, Dave was at Grand River Hospital, or I thought he said that. So I, so one night I pop over to Grand River Hospital, and I get there, and uh, I ask for Dave, and they said, "Well, there's no Dave, but there's another Rife here." And I thought, okay, well maybe Dave is his middle name, as some people do. They go by their middle name rather than their first name. And the hospital uh, administrator, or the attendant, said, "You can go up and check." So I went up to the floor, and uh, as the doors open. I see his son, Cyrus, there with a hospital gown on. I said, Cyrus, what's going on? And Cyrus said, well, Dave is at uh, St. Mary's. Oh, okay. So next night I get, you know, after work, I pop over to St. Mary's Hospital and uh, get there to uh, at the front desk. And I say, oh, I'm here to see Dave Rife. And the attendant uh, looks it up and then says to me, oh, you're, you're too late. So I said, I was taken a bit aback by that uh, at first. I thought, oh my gosh. And the attendant then says, uh, he got transferred to Freeport Hospital. <laughs> well, I'm thinking in my mind, well, maybe you could have led with that. But uh, anyway, so, okay. So fortunately he was at Freeport. So a couple of nights later, I pop over to Freeport Hospital and uh, he's uh, in one of the rooms and there's four beds and I, I walk in and uh, I couldn't recognize which one he was. Um, you know, the cancer was really taking its toll. And uh, so I went back out to the nurse attendant and she said, oh, he's bed number four. So I went back in and sat there and I saw him and he was sleeping. So I sat beside the bed and waited for a while to see if he would, uh, would wake up. And he woke up and uh, saw me there. And uh, we had a, a good uh, conversation uh, about, 
you know, stuff in the community. And of course, we got into a discussion about the uh, the grocery store. And, uh, you know, we got talking about it in the process. And I, you know, I explained to him why I had to do what I did and the, the approach that we took and, and all of that. And after a little bit, Dave kind of got silent and uh, kind of was looking at him. And I thought, well, maybe he must be getting tired. So I was uh, getting ready to 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 leave. And uh, Dave uh, looked up at me and he said, uh, you know, Rob, and I said, you know what, Dave? And he said, you know what? During that whole time, I always thought you were on the take. <laughs> I started chuckling. I said, Dave, what are you talking about? I couldn't believe that. Here I am visiting Dave in the hospital, you know, dealing with the cancer and battling for his life. And he's looking up at me. <laughs> One of the thoughts was that he thought I was on the take during that whole time. Uh, it's a great story. I'll always uh, remember that. Uh, uh, whether, you know, he really thought that or not, I don't know, but uh, it always gives me a good chuckle. So just to finish off a bit of a prologue to the Dave story, because, you know, I'll never forget Dave, Dave Reif. I'll never forget Dave Reif. So he did pass away shortly thereafter. Um, and so there was a, a celebration of, of life for Dave. And uh, so I went to attend the Celebration of Life, and it was held at the uh, Waterloo Regional Police uh, Services Club that's in North Dumfries. In fact, I learned that uh, Dave was a, a manager out there for a period of time as well. So, so that club, again, Dave, it's North Dumfries. He's involved in a lot of stuff, and that club uh, you know, was an important place for him, and he was part of the development of that club. So when I get there uh, during the Celebration of Life, I see that uh, – there was a thing called a memoir uh, by Dave Reif. And it was uh, basically about 10 pages in a Sirlox bound uh, document, Sirlox bound. And um, in there was a section called political philosophies. So Dave, while he was uh, on his uh, deathbed, uh, had uh, put, uh, had, had someone come in and had basically dictated to them uh, some information about his history, you know, where he was born, where he went to school, his family, his experiences and stories, uh, you know, talked about politics and, and other life events that were important to him. Uh, just on politics, uh, he said, uh, I consider my activity in politics as entertainment and my involvement as a resident taxpayer, as opposed to a representative in pursuit of community betterment. And yeah, I, I agree with that. Dave was that uh, sort of person. And in fact, he actively worked for uh, a, a mayor two before me, which was Joe Martins, helped him get elected uh, uh, as a councillor, uh, or he served a term on council, but helped him get elected as mayor. So, you know, Dave was true to his views there. But there was a section called political philosophies. So I was really interested in uh, seeing this uh, political philosophies. And, oh, I should just mention, as, as most of you know, and as it said in the intro, I, I was mayor for one term. And, and after that, I mean, I was running a pra my law practice, mayor and regional counselor. So it was like three things going on at the same time. Two would be fine, but three things was, was a lot of stuff. So I didn't uh, seek a second term. So I'm, I'm looking at this document that uh, Dave, his memoirs, and this thing called political philosophies in there. So the first thing I read, is uh, it's uh, there's there's four here A B C and D. 
So the first one, it says, since amalgamation in 1973, and he's talking about regional amalgamation, the bureaucrats' increased influence has required more meetings to be held during the daytime working hours. So he's talking about staff uh, influence. Uh, current compensation levels uh, do not reflect the result of the added commitment to the average grassroots taxpayer. And what he's talking about there is the compensation levels for elected politicians, which you'll hear from time to time, you know, all the time it takes to be elected and, and all your duties and everything you have to do, you should probably be compensated a little bit more appropriately. But he goes on to say, unless you are uh, retired, a senior executive, or professional business person with the time and financial stature. So I read that. I said, well, you know, I, I could probably, probably fit it into that last one there. So, so there's a, I could see myself reflected in that. Then I read the next one, B, a candidate for mayor should serve at least one term on council previously. <laughs> and I'm going, wait a minute, that sounds like exactly me. <laughs> then I read the third one, any potential candidate must consider the time commitment through two terms. Uh, and I'm thinking, Dave, <laughs> I hear you reaching out to me from the heavens. <laughs> and then finally he said, any potential candidate should consider the financial impact. And again, I think that probably reflected the fact that I may have mentioned that as uh, with my law practice, that um, the time commitment to being a mayor and regional counselor uh, was really affecting um, my law practice. And, you know, I had uh, a number of staff people who were relying on me for a full time. But here's Dave with his, and I don't know if these are political philosophies or some commentary or observations. I'm not quite sure these are political philosophies, but I think I, I think they were all four of those struck at me. And I think Dave probably had me in mind when he was going through all of those. So that was Dave Reif reaching out. Now, I just want to say, I mean, municipal politics uh, provides one with probably the best opportunity to uh, contribute and build within your community. And this grocery store story and the Tim's story are a great example of that. Um, my involvement with the community center before that is another example of, uh, you know, structures that you can build in your community that can have really transformational impact in your community. And uh, the, the issue there is sometimes finding that time, but finding the group of people that can really make things happen. And that's one of the nice things too about municipal politics is that these community events are community led and they're done through really a community uh, lens where everyone comes together, working together to make things happen. But there'll be tugs and pulls. There's going to be differences of opinions. But if you recognize that you can find some middle ground, some common ground, you can result, it can result in some really great uh, infrastructure in your community and at the same time, some really great stories. So that's the podcast for today. It's a short one, but uh, I thought it was a great story and I really wanted to share my story about Dave. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to another edition of the Old Grey Mayors podcast. If you have any ideas for stories or people you would like us to interview or reach out to, please feel free to contact us. And thank you again. <laughs>